MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, October 28th, 2020. Today, Amy Coney Barrett has been sworn in as Trump's third Supreme Court appointment. Jacob Wool and Jack Berkman have been indicted again. Kavanaugh makes a ton of errors in his Supreme Court decision about Wisconsin ballots. A new Trump tax story is out from The New York Times. And a judge has ruled that Trump cannot use the Department of Justice as his personal attorneys in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. How are you? I uh, I mean, what's news? <laughs> what's good? What's, what's, what's good? good? What's good? Um, you know, I... <laughs> I'm going to try real hard today. I'm so like, I have so much rage inside me that I'm going to try real hard to be funny comic instead of angry comic. Uh, but man, it's just one hit after another. But we do have some good news with like E. Jean Carroll and mm-hmm. Kavanaugh's a moron. So, you know, we'll get to some funnies. We'll get to some funnies with the news. It hit me like a ton of bricks last night. I mean, I've been pissed about this the whole time and I've known what was coming and I, I shouldn't have been surprised. But for some reason, the spectacle of it and the, the way that the, I think the Republicans were reacting last night really, really, I was shaking with rage. I was so yeah. mad. I mean, when you have jackass tweets from the GOP that you retweeted, like, happy birthday, Hillary Clinton, I'm like, oh, go fuck yourself. Like, I yeah. I can't. I can't. I was so mad. I was just so mad. So I feel you on that. Uh, so but we're, you know, we're gonna we're gonna push through here. Uh, we're, we've got, you know, we've got a week to go a little less than a week to go. Plus, we we will have another 85 days. <laughs> of this. Oh, so um, we, we, you know, I'm here for you. You're here for me. We're all here for each other. Whew. Uh, I'm going to be talking later in the show. This is awesome. I got to speak with uh, Amy Westervelt. She's the host of the Drilled podcast. She's awesome. And we're going to be talking about the differences uh, in um, platforms about climate change between the two candidates. You know, one believes in it, at believes least. In it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. It reminds me of like when I used to date a bunch in my 20s and dudes were like, I don't believe in marriage. And I was like, it exists. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not Santa Claus. It's not. Yes, this isn't debatable. You may not want to get married, but it's real. And people are doing it. (laughs) I don't believe in it. It happens. Okay. Anyway, we do have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. I just quickly want to apologize to anyone who still believed in Santa Claus uh, before that last (laughs) segment. All right, let's move on with the news. (laughs) The lead story today (laughs) requires uh, that we get to fire up the music for the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm going to be indicted! No, wait, it's going to be okay. Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm going to be indicted! Hold it, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted! So, conservative douchebags Jacob Wool and Jack Berkman have been indicted, again, this time in Ohio, over more racist robocalls aimed at minority voters. Wall and Berkman, who rose to some level of infamy online for blundering attempts to manufacture sexual assault allegations against Democratic politicians and other Trump foes, including Mueller. He tried to get our friend Jen. They, they, they tried to pay our friend Jennifer Taub to say Mueller sexually uh, harassed her. 
right. Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren. They said Elizabeth Warren was dating some sort of ex-Marine uh, gigolo fella. Uh, just absolutely insane shit that all of it was debunked. Um, but they've been charged now in Ohio, in Cuyahoga County, with eight counts of telecommunications fraud and seven counts of bribery. This is a charge that includes attempts to convince people not to vote and not just convince people, but scare the fuck out of them not to vote. And this only adds to the growing mountain of criminal and civil problems facing the notorious pro-Trump pair, according to Daily Beast. In late August, a robocall that claimed to come from Wool and Berkman warned voters not to use mail-in ballots, falsely claiming that the ballot information would be used to enforce vaccine mandates and collect on credit card debts and pick you up for, like, uh, like old warrants oh in the call, God. which was sent to 67,000 voters in the Midwest, according to prosecutors. A black woman warned potential voters not to send in mail-in ballots or risk being fooled by, quote-unquote, the man. Michigan's attorney general charged Wool and Berkman in a separate case on October 1st. So they've been indicted in Michigan for this as well, for the same robocall scheme, uh, which was also sent to voters in that state. They've been sued in New York in a civil lawsuit by people who received the call as well. Now, the pair have been claimed they didn't arrange the robocalls. In the Michigan case, however, prosecutors intend to call as witnesses the owner of a robocall company who prosecutors say will testify that his company was used by Berkman and Wool to send these robocalls. It can't get much clearer than that. Um, Michigan prosecutors have also claimed they have an email from Wool arranging the robocall scripts. So, <laughs> so oh they're God. denying it, but they have all this shit. Uh, Wool is also facing felony charges in California over alleged violations of securities laws. The FBI is also investigating the pair over the leak of juror questionnaires in the trial of former Trump advisor Roger Stone. That's according to sealed court documents obtained by the Daily Beast. So fun times. They're just fucking up all over the place. AG, how are these guys not behind bars? What the... I don't understand. Well, they've been indicted now in two states, right. uh, three states. And and here's the thing. It seems like Yost, the, who is the attorney general for Ohio, he's one of the ones who signed on to the amicus curiae brief supporting Flynn in that case. So he's kind of a douche. Right. But Yost kicked this down to the state courts from the U.S. attorney's office in Ohio. Uh, so we went from federal to state. And I don't know if it's I think it's probably because Yost didn't want to prosecute anything that would upset Trump oh. because these are. Oh, right. Right, right, right. You know, but it yeah, could also be the states might have said, look, we're not going to let you uh, prosecute this federally because we don't want these to be pardonable crimes because state crimes the, the Trump cannot pardon. Yep. Which is wonderful. Uh, got it. Yes. Thank you. See, the more you know. More lessons by Allison Gill. Da, da, da. <laughs> All right. Our next news is actually fantastic. Fantastic news. A federal judge has ruled that Trump isn't allowed to use the Department of Justice as his personal legal team in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case. This is big. Mm. Yes, this mm -hmm. is big. The judge, Louis A. Kaplan, a federal district court in Manhattan, rejected the Justice Department's attempt to step into the case and defend the president. Why? Because they shouldn't be the president's personal fucking lawyer. <laughs> okay. See? Angry comic. Here we go. Ms. Yeah. 
Miss Carroll has accused Mr. Trump of raping her in a department store dressing room in the 1990s. Her lawsuit claims he harmed her reputation when he denied the attack last year and branded her a liar. Last month, the Justice Department abruptly intervened on Mr. Trump's behalf in the suit, which has been filed in state court in New York, citing a law designed to protect federal employees against litigation stemming from the performances of their duties. However, under that law, the Federal Tort Claims Act, the department sought to move Ms. Carroll's suit to federal court and to substitute the United States for Mr. Trump as the defendant, a move that would likely lead to the dismissal of charges. However, yes, Judge Kaplan ruled against the department's maneuver, saying Mr. Trump was not acting in official capacity when he denied the accusation. Which begs the question, which begs the question, if he was acting in his official capacity as president, is he allowed to lie about raping people? That bums me out. Right. And if that's your defense, how is that not an omission that you're raping raping someone? Uh, so mm. anyway, in, in, in this is a quote, his comments concerned an alleged sexual assault that took place several decades before he took office and the allegations have no relationship to the official business of the United States, the judge wrote. Miss Carroll's suit against the president will now continue in federal court, which is a beautiful, beautiful mm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, we were mentioning the Flynn case a little bit earlier because of Yoast and Wall and all those uh Douche canoes. But the Department of Justice has filed their affidavits that were due from Judge Sullivan's minute order in the Flynn case. Their affidavits under penalty of perjury that their documents are true and correct. And they got them in just under the wire last night. And these were the ones because, you know, what had happened was some of the paperwork that Sidney Powell had gotten from Barr's special appointed U.S. attorney named John Bash to look into the Flynn situation. John Bash and the FBI field office in the Eastern District of Missouri uh, gave all these documents to Sidney Powell, who turned them into the court. But they they were altered. There were dates written on sticky notes on Peter Strzok and Andy McCabe's FBI notes. And those dates, if they were, if they had been accurate, which they were not, Mm -hmm. would have implicated Joe Biden, right, in knowing about Flynn, which, by the way, still, there's nothing wrong with that. They just want to be able to say that. Um, Right, because it sounds, it sounds sketchy, even though it's not sketchy. It sounds sketchy, even though it's totally not. Uh, Because Bash went on to, we learned later, that they found nothing wrong with the unmasking investigation uh, of Flynn. The only thing that we learned was that Flynn was unmasked in 14 other fucking conversations with enemy people. So, like, (laughs) that had nothing to do with the the Kislyak calls that he lied about in this particular case. So he's even a a bigger shady McFuckface than we thought. Thanks uh, for that. But... The language they used is very interesting when they said, you know, under penalty of perjury, all this shit is correct. They didn't quite say that. They said, quote, there have been no material alterations to any of the 14 government exhibits filed in support of the motion to dismiss. Now, they've just completely narrowed their window there. Materiality has a very distinct definition in law. Uh, An item of evidence is said to be material if it has some logical connection to a fact of consequence in the outcome of a case. And this case being quote, support of the motion to dismiss. So, for example, if they altered shit in the documents that would smear Biden like they did, that does not have material impact on the Flynn case, particularly the motion to dismiss. So, like in the case of altered the altered dates, 
they actually did submit altered evidence, but not materially altered evidence. That gives them wiggle room to submit falsified documents that bear no weight in the Flynn motion to dismiss. Peter Strzok actually tweeted about this, additionally saying, beyond acknowledging adding altered incorrect dates to my notes... This DOJ filing also states, quote, the government reiterates, however, that the content of those exhibits was not altered in any way, as confirmed by attorneys for both former FBI employees. That is not true. Right. That's Peter Strzok, because the attorneys did not, Peter Strzok and Andy McCabe's attorneys did not confirm that the content of those exhibits was not altered in any way. So there is a lie in, a, in another court filing here, um, which I don't see how that isn't perjury, but... I, you know, I don't know too much yet about this, but it seems sketch. It is sketch. And more sketch. Let me tell you about another sketchy motherfucker, Kavanaugh. We're going to move into this this next story. Oh, see, I'm just cursy little angry comic. Okay. I like beer. I like beer. I like beer. And then Lindsey Graham. I have never. And I'm like, all right, Leslie Jordan, sit down. (laughs) (laughs) This Supreme Court. So, okay. This is a case, and Kavanaugh's just, he should have been impeached when it came to the Bush-Gore uh, election, but let's let's get into this. The Supreme Court has ruled that votes can't be counted in Wisconsin after Election Day, and as experts pour over the decision, we find an immense amount of errors in Kavanaugh's concurrence. So part of what made the Trump-appointed justice's perspective extraordinary is its implications. Kavanaugh warned, for example, that states invite chaos and suspicions of impropriety if, quote, thousands of absentee ballots flew in after election day and potentially flipped the results of the election. So he's saying that a shit ton of ballots are just going to come in after election day and flip the results of the election. However, how can you flip the results if the it's not a result if all the ballots haven't been counted? That's what an election <laughs> is. That's what infuriates me about this. Mm. So as Slate's Mark Joseph Stern explained overnight, it's genuinely alarming that the justice cast these uh, aspersions on late arriving ballots. In at least 18 states and the District of Columbia, election officials do count ballots that arrive after Election Day. And in these states, there's no result to flip, like I said, because there's no result to overturn until all valid ballots are counted. Further, George W. Bush's 2000 legal, uh, election legal team, which included Barrett and Kavanaugh and Roberts. Shocking. Mm. It's Mm. so infuriating, yes. They argued during that contested election ballots arriving late and without postmark, and without postmarks, which were thought to benefit Bush, might be counted in Florida. Also note Kavanaugh's factual errors, and there are many. For instance, the justice pointed uh, to Vermont as an example of the states where officials decided not to make changes to their ordinary election rules despite the pandemic. And with, that's actually not true. The Vermont Secretary of State's office noted soon after that it was authorized for the first time to automatically mail ballots to each of the state's registered voters, as well as implementing a first-time pre-election ballot processing policy. So what's more about the story is that CNN's Marshall Cohen noted that Kavanaugh cited for support an article. This one makes me laugh, Allison. Kavanaugh <laughs> cited for support an article from NYU law professor Rick Pildes. Now, though the article in question argues that states should, should in fact extend postmark deadlines, which is the opposite of the conclusion drawn by Justice Kavanaugh. And a Washington Post analysis added overnight that Kavanaugh's entire argument for rejecting late arrival ballots is riddled with dubious arguments. 
This is so infuriating. He's so bad at his job. So aside from the obvious problems associated with a Supreme Court justice getting things wrong, it's important. I I don't have any other way to say it. It's important to emphasize the context. Kavanaugh made dubious arguments in voting rights case during an election in which the president who chose him for the bench he hopes justices will help to shield him from the voters will. So this is why Kavanaugh was chosen. Sabrina, the teenage justice, better recuse herself from this election cases. I'm telling you right now. You know, we've got Handmaid's Tale. She's been put in there for a reason. Blessed be the fruit that is rotting in the Supreme Court right now. Anyway, I can't just, I mean, Kavanaugh, this is the thing, Allison, and I'll say this. I know everyone's like, expand the court, expand the court, expand the court. If we get the House and we get the Senate and we get the White House, I want them to impeach the two sexual predators on the Supreme Court, that will take care of the imbalance uh, injustices, and then we can actually appoint two people that deserve to be there. I want to see Kavanaugh impeached. Unfortunately, you have to have two thirds of the Senate to impeach. I know. What is it? Sixty-three votes or something like that? Yeah, it's 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 a lot. I know. Sixty-six, so inf- sixty-seven, sixty-six. Yeah, it's so infuriating. And we won't have <sighs> that. Um, Not probably. yet. We won't have that yet. If we continue on this road of yes. voting, and we can actually course correct the disaster that is our democracy right now, Republicans may never take the Senate back again. If we can actually fix this. Well, that was my sort of thing, right? Everyone's like, well, how you know, I because I'm for ex- court expansion because we can't get. Um, Right. We can't impeach. Uh, and maybe they'll be indicted. I mean, we could we could always try to indict them. Uh, but that, that still doesn't guarantee that they would be impeached. And I don't we've never had a, an indicted uh, sitting justice. I don't know if that disqualifies you. Um, um, but <laughs> uh, it, it may not. Um, but in any case, uh, that's why I'm for court expansion. And also, I, you know, people are like, well, what's going to prevent the Republicans from doing that again? I'm like, you, by never voting for Republicans again. Exactly. And and we can also get uh, D.C., a couple of uh, senators and some representatives, and also uh, Puerto Rico, uh, give them statehood. And that also increases the number of Democrats in, in both houses. So that's... That, to me, is, has always kind of been the answer. Uh, and then, of course, not just the Supreme Court, but I've talked to uh, Andrew Torres from Opening Arguments about this. We double the federal bench, the lower, the lower court, circuit court, uh, and uh, pack away for the next... Okay. Uh, Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Fix mm-hmm. it. That's course correct. Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back with the host of the Drilled Podcast, Amy Westervelt. We're going to talk about the upcoming choice for president and how it will impact climate change. So stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. The pandemic didn't just test our country's economic endurance. It tested our immune systems as well, and it reminded us how important it is to keep them strong. And that's why I recommend you take the superfood powder called Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition, and you do it every day. While other health products boast about one vegetable, Field of Greens is packed with 18 clinically researched essential fruits and vegetables, plus green tea, ginger, 
turmeric, and beets. So this powerful combination not only supports heart health, it can support a healthy immune system, metabolism, blood pressure, and digestion. Field of Greens is loaded with antioxidants, pre- and probiotics. Just one scoop and a glass of water, stir it up, and you're done. So why settle for one vegetable when you can have the entire Field of Greens? Add Field of Greens to your daily routine and see why our powdered greens have earned over 2,000 five-star reviews. Go to fieldofgreens15.com and get 15% off your first order with the promo code BEANS at checkout. That's fieldofgreens1515.com. Available in two flavors, regular and wild berry. Both taste great. That's fieldofgreens15.com and use promo code BEANS. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today for the interview, I'm very excited uh, to, to speak with this person. She is the founder of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. She hosts the Drilled Podcast and co-hosts another climate change podcast called Hot Take. She's contributed to so many incredible publications, The Guardian, Wall Street Journal, NPR, New York Times, Huffington Post, Popular Science. And she won the Edward R. Murrow Award as the lead reporter for a series on the impacts of the Tesla Gigafactory in Nevada, which aired on Reno Public Radio in 2017. Everybody, please welcome Amy Westervelt to The Daily Beans. Amy, how are you? Well, you know, hanging in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's grinding. <laughs> odd times to say the least but i i feel like i sh- like you and i are kindred spirits because if you if you could have more going on uh that would be cool like you, you, you remind me of <laughs> i was me. thinking about that when you started the daily beans i was like wow they're doing a lot of podcasts a lot of projects <laughs> yes <laughs> we were gonna do this clean handoff right we figured when the Mueller investigation was over people would stop caring and they did not so we started a daily news podcast and then people kept listening to Mueller she wrote and it went on for almost a year where we had a weekly and a daily and uh that's and hard. I was still working. Lot. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's bananas. And you remind me of me. And I don't know, like, for me, doing all these projects is kind of a coping mechanism for, for PTSD. I'm not sure why you do it. But that's why I do it. I just fill all my time. You know, totally. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, it doesn't stop me from complaining about being <laughs> too busy. But I do. Um, I definitely like I. I prefer being overly busy and probably at some sort of avoidance strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, hey, I call it surviving. Um, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, I take a day off like once a year and I feel like a total lazy POS. So it's very, it's an interesting dynamic when that happens. Uh so I want to talk about the Drilled podcast. You call it a true crime podcast about climate change, which is sort of when we started Mueller, she wrote, I was like, do we put this in news, comedy or true crime? Because yeah, <laughs> kind of all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I had been a print reporter for a really long time. And then maybe like seven-ish years ago, I was, you know, listening to something on, um, I think I was listening to This American Life, actually, and I was like, I wish I could do audio, and then I thought, well, I could probably at least try to learn, so I um, contacted the Reno Public Radio Station and um, offered myself as sort of an overaged intern if they would um, teach me audio. And they said, sure. And so I did that for about a month and then they hired me as a reporter there. So I did like community public radio reporting in Reno for a couple of years, which was really fun. Mm. Uh, and 
then that like pretty much as soon as I started doing audio, I was trying to think of a, a narrative show for climate because there were a few shows that, you know, talked to experts and, you know, policy people and scientists and things like that about climate. But in my mind, you know, it's um, one of the bigger issues for people to wrap their heads around climate is that it feels abstract and it can feel like you have to be an expert to understand it. And there are all of these stories that make it a lot easier to understand that weren't really getting out there. And I was, I tried multiple things and they were all boring. (laughs) And and then I uh, was covering all these climate cases. So um, there was a a crop of these, like maybe 10 or 12 years ago, where um, this one lawyer kind of came up with a strategy for suing oil companies and utilities for damages, basically. And um, he had kind of tried this strategy and, and had some losses and it, it seemed like he had kind of gone back to the drawing board and then was coming back with filing a lot of these cases in state court. So I was, I was following these and I was in San Francisco in a courtroom and this judge had requested a climate science tutorial and people were calling it like the scopes monkey trial of climate, (laughs) (laughs) which was hilarious. Um, and then, uh, it was super, so I went and it was like, that was the moment where I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this as sort of like a legal true crime kind of framework because Mm. there were all these characters right there. You know, it was like the oil company lawyers and the activists and their Exxon new t-shirts and like the quirky judge and the scientists were there. And, um, and there were all of these very, um, you know, kind of incendiary documents that had been published here and there in different places, you know, the um, inside climate news and the LA times, and the Columbia Journalism School did this amazing series in like 2015. And it seemed like people, a lot of people still didn't know about this stuff, you know, that like, yes, there was a coordinated effort to create and spread climate denial, you know, and like, yes, the people that it benefited most are the ones that came up with it. Um, Yeah, uh, that always blows my mind, too, right? Like, because in order in order to have a a good conspiracy theory, I feel like there needs to be a motive. Um, Right. You know, like this guy running around, I can't remember his name, who's saying that, you know, uh, governors and, and local and state municipalities are are trying to infringe on your first amendment rights by shutting down houses of worship and i'm like okay but where's the motive in that like why would we do that and because they just hate religion (laughs) yeah but then they think climate change is a hoax when there is a clear and obvious motive called money (laughs) that that motivates that type of thing and it's like flat earthers too like why are we all why are the globe heads all getting together and 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 trying to cover up this flat earth conspiracy what do we get out of that you know (laughs) i know i know yeah totally and like and yeah so well and that's the thing too is that actually like as i dug into it more i realized that uh, the documentation stuff is really um the thing that sort of most uh, kind of convincing to people who, you know, are maybe like, oh, I don't know, jury's still out on climate, you know, like they'll read, you know, our, our, um, our second season, I followed this group of crab fishermen who ended up filing suit against the oil companies. And I think that case is about to start up again, but they were the first industry to like sue the oil guys and almost half or more of the named plaintiffs in that case still to this day are like, I don't believe 
that humans are contributing to climate change. But they're named plaintiffs in a in a massive lawsuit against the oil companies because they're like, I don't think it's fair that they had all this information and they like lied to the public and suppressed information. And I'm like, that's fascinating to me mm. because I think the environmental movement for a long time has made like, you know, quote unquote, believing in climate change sort of the, you know, cost of entry <laughs> for a long time. But for like, it's like, well, actually, it doesn't even matter as long as like, if you can agree that it's not fair that a small group of, of companies with a profit motive are dictating terms for everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a lot more people, you know, (laughs) I could kind of see why some of the crab guys, what do you call them? Fishermen, crab, crabbers. What do you call them? Crabbers. Crabbers. I could see why they wouldn't want to admit uh, that man was causing climate change, because if you're a, a crabber, you're probably changing the environment of marine life and could have a negative impact as a human person on on the planet. On the so, ecosystem, right. Of, of course they don't want to admit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Some of them were torn for that reason, too. They're like, well, I feel like a hypocrite because I use, you know, gas in my boat um, and therefore, you know, I'm contributing to this too, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I can talk them out of that, but I can't talk them out of the fact that they could be negatively impacting marine life. But, you know, six and one half dozen, right? The Greenpeace boat uses gasoline. Uh, right. right. <laughs> so we have to we have to get around to to protest somehow. But I find it very, very interesting that you went with the true crime model because I'm thinking to myself, because I faced this this dilemma as well when we started the Muller She Wrote podcast. There's a no immediate gratification in covering climate science uh, because it's such a slow process. Just like there's no there was not going to be any immediate gratification in the Mueller investigation. They weren't going to roll up a bunch of people and send them to jail for conspiracy against the United States. Right. So we gave it a comedy angle. You you all gave it a true crime angle. Uh, and it, it's it's a way, it's a vehicle to tell these stories. And I think that that's so important. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Well, the, the kind of um, the true crime slash, you know, kind of legal law cases sort of framing let us talk about a lot of these um, documents and witnesses and things like that in a way that was, well, a more familiar. It's like a familiar story framework for people. You know? <laughs> yeah, like the ID channel. Uh, yeah, it's like, okay, I know this format. It's the woman in the green screen basement and she's saying, ooh, the, you know, you never know who you're married to or whatever. And yes. And so that, you know, that's really, it grabs you. It really, really does. And it was, it's so important to get these stories out, these Aaron Brockovich style stories. Hey, Amy, hang out with us just for one second. I'm going to be right back. I have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. This portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sun Basket. I love Sun Basket so much. If you're looking for fresh dinners that taste great, they're easy to prepare, they're good for you, and there's like no effort, and you don't have to be a good cook, it is Sun Basket. They deliver fresh and ready meals that are fast and delicious. They heat up in just minutes. You can enjoy incredibly tasty and nutritious meals, avoiding crowded grocery stores. That's the best part. Sun Basket has amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences like paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian. They have all kinds. And they make it really easy and incredibly convenient. Everything is pre-portioned, ready 
ready to prep and cook. You can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in just as little as 15 minutes, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. Each week, they offer a wide range of recipes to choose from, so you can try amazing dishes like Mediterranean lemon chicken with baby broccoli, artichokes and olives. They have Hawaiian poke bowls with albacore tuna, brown rice, and nori. It's so delicious. And vegetarian black-eyed pea fritters with arugula and spicy chili mango sauce. You can order from any recipes across their menu. Double up if you want. Skip a week. It's awesome. It's so easy to do. It's so user-friendly. And Sunbasket facilities have the highest levels of food and employee safety because they reinforce strict adherence to their operating procedures, and they've increased sanitization frequency in their distribution centers to protect you and your family and their employees. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order. Go right now to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout for $35 off your first order. Again, sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans. All right, welcome back. We are talking to host of the Drilled Podcast, Amy Westervelt. Now we're we're at a, a very critical point in climate history, if you will, uh, because we face a decision, or we have been facing. You know, everyone says the election is November third. The, Nove- the the election ends November third. Um, uh, but you know, here we've got two very very different approaches to climate science, climate change, and climate activism. Uh, we have uh, Joe Biden's plan, who he has put AOC, one of the authors of the Green New Deal, in charge of, along with John Kerry. I, okay, and um, I, I might have picked Al Gore myself, but okay. And you know, I don't, I don't hate John Kerry, but he's a snoozer. But they've got AOC, and uh, and then we've got uh, Trump, who who sometimes denies it sometimes calls it a hoax perpetrated by the chinese government some like it depends on i guess who he's talking to uh which way the wind is blowing his hair i don't know but he he really kind of doesn't have a plan at all and as a matter of fact we know that the that the rnc is to like incentivize more oil (laughs) yeah yeah a hundred percent and so then we get to this whole you know uh position in the debate where um, Trump says that Joe wanted to ban fracking and Joe's like, no, I never wanted to ban fracking. He's trying not to come off as a, a progressive socialist. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I know, right? Ooh, it's, it's like when Bernie Sanders, boo, socialism, you know, yeah, <laughs> uh, trying to have an acceptable plan for a larger swath of, of Americans who might be negatively impacted by something like banning fracking. I mean, there's a lot of people who have jobs in these industries and that it's a, a more of a slow, a slower sort of change over, but he puts AOC in charge of it, which I think was a really, really great choice. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on, on these two plans, these two programs? Well, one program and one, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, the fracking thing is super interesting because there's this very clear kind of politicking happening happening here, right? Where it's like everyone's worried about Pennsylvania, Ohio, and like less so Colorado, right? And and fracking because those are the three states that have a large amount of fracking. Ohio and Pennsylvania, in particular, are big swing states. So, um, so I think you know the Democrats have kind of been like, well. We don't want to say anything too strongly, blah, blah, blah. But the reality of, of fracking is that, you know, more than half of voters in Pennsylvania want fracking to be mass, at, at a minimum massively restricted. So like this idea that people who live in fracking states love fracking is is not actually backed up by what the people are actually saying. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, there are some jobs, but when you dig into the data, 
the jobs have been massively overstated. There's this very interesting thing happening with the Bureau of Labor Statistics every year where like all the oil and gas companies self-report these amazing jobs numbers that slowly get uh, whittled down like six months later when no one's looking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how the jobs reports have been on the whole uh, since since uh, Trump took office. Well, we created a million and a half jobs. Okay, it was a million. All right, it was like nine hundred. Okay, it was like five hundred thousand. Okay, we lost twenty thousand jobs. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But but the initial story, that first bullet is the one that everybody pays attention to, right? Exactly, exactly. So there's um, there's the fact that, you know, they're not actually employing that many people. They are, you know, um, uh, polluting the water and creating lots of issues for, um, you know, for various communities. I mean, there's there's a bunch of projects in Pennsylvania, for example, where they're using sort of a weird combination of eminent domain and some state laws to uh, basically take people's homes so that they can run pipelines through them. <laughs> and, and the thing is, they're unnecessary. The demand for natural gas has plummeted. There's a natural gas glut and there has been for ages. Fracking companies have never actually been cash flow positive. So like I describe them as the biggest Ponzi scheme. The, the only people that have ever made money in fracking are the early investors who made money off of late stage investors, that is a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm kind of like, actually, like Joe Biden doesn't need to ban fracking. He just needs to stop subsidizing it and let it do what it's been destined to do for years, which is fail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give it, give itself enough rope to hang itself with. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I also and... think like the the way the Democrats talk about banning fracking too is very like it's again I feel like the the Democrats are constantly ceding framing to the Republicans on climate. They did it with the Ugh. Green New Deal. They're doing it with fracking now, and it's like, look, uh, no one is saying that you know on November fourth we're going to shut down all natural gas pipelines, and anyone who's working in fracking is going to be laid off with no plan. Literally no one is suggesting that, you know, but actually like uh, a lot of fracking companies have just gone out of business and laid people off with no plan. So it's not like, you know. Yeah. I think the, the main idea here is, is regulation, common sense regulation, and don't put an oil executive in charge of the environmental protection agency. It's kind of, it just, it's self-explanatory to me. Yes. But that's the, that's another thing too, that I think that like the, the sort of moderate wing of the Democrats really needs to let go of the idea that in some magical parallel universe, we're going to have oil company executives sitting down and coming up with a, a plan on climate that actually works. The oil companies themselves are working very hard to convince people of this right now. All their ads are about how mm-hmm. actually they're totally on top of this climate thing. Don't worry. These are the people who are the reason we're in this position. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, they have literally like if- no incentive to do anything other than make money off of their assets. That is what they exist to do. And that's fine. I don't actually fault them for that. I fault the government for not like for expecting them to be somehow altruistic. No, we need a we need an ad campaign much like the tobacco companies were forced to pay for. Um that's the kind of shit that we need. Uh it we don't need 
big tobacco executive sitting down with, uh, you know, the American Heart and Lung Association trying to have a drum circle. Coming up with like a compromise on smoking slightly less. <laughs> I mean, that's right. really what we're talking about. You know, it's like, come on, that's ridiculous. Right. I think I think, though, right now, I think and here's the and here's the. Uh, where it's just so hard to come to, to, for me at least, to come to terms with because the climate is number one emergency problem for the globe. And yet, but we're also, you know, number one emergency problem for the United States is we're sliding into authoritarianism. And so it's like, well, okay, so do we, yes, climate, uh, we ha- definitely have to do that. Can we just get this guy out of the White House? Then we'll all sit down. And, you know, but it it always seems, doesn't it, like something's coming up uh, that, that has to make us kick the can down the road. I mean, I think that like getting Trump out of office also helps with climate for sure. <laughs> like, I definitely think it's been it's been very good to see. Um, you know, it's funny for as much as as a lot of um, of Democrats will kind of be like, oh, boo, the you know, the Sanders left, blah, blah, blah. What I've seen with the youth climate movement, which is, you know, a large segment of of that population, is that they pretty immediately were like, right, okay, it's going to be Biden. Let's get Biden elected so that we can push him. Because, like, forget Trump. He's, like, not even suggestible on this stuff, you know? Yeah, and I think that that's, that that's so true about about so many different issues, but especially climate change. Uh, but like guns and, uh, you know, the, I think the idea here is to get the Republicans who have the money motive and who are supplied by lobbyists and big oil to just get them out of, of government. We have to overturn Citizens United so that we are no longer corruptible by this money. And, uh, and, and then we can start having baseline discussions about, you know, not compromising on the climate, uh, but actually reversing the damage that we've done. And, I, you know, we're getting to a point where we're almost at the critical mass here. We're almost at the, the beyond the point of no return. Windows closing. Say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing too, is it's like, look, yeah, we could have done moderate climate policy in the nineties or even the early two thousands, but like we dicked around for too long. And now, you know, um, you, you basically have either radical action or radical inaction. Those are your two options. <laughs> it's fucking radical either way, you know? And like, unfortunately that's where we're at and i mean on the authoritarian front too it's very concerning that you know um one of the things that um we've been talking about on hot take is like climate action isn't necessarily always good like there is there is an authoritarian right-wing version of this where it's very easy for these guys to go straight from denying it's even happening to uh oh shit climate change is real. We have to hoard all our resources and get these immigrants out of here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. It's a, it's like a real quick leap from like, you know, mm-hmm. climate denial to eco-fascism. And um, mm-hmm. the second that these guys realize that they can use climate to justify a bunch of other fascist crap, they will. Of course. Um, so that's also terrifying. <laughs> you know? Of course. Well, here's hoping that, uh, some folks like Rick Perry, for example, who made a mint off of wind energy in Texas and actually put Texas on the map for being one of the leaders in, in wind energy. Um, uh, let's hope they all realize, oh, hey, there is money 
in this. Uh, <laughs> and maybe we can use that as a carrot instead of the stick of the destruction of the planet. Um, yeah. But I am I'm very encouraged by the, the number of young people, 18 to 29, that are showing up to vote. I just looked at the numbers. Tenfold increases. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what Obama talked about uh, right after he uh, left the White House when after Trump won and he went on. I think uh, Crooked Media and was like, look, there's going to be this wave of young people that are going to come and, and uh, fix fix these things. And that's where our hope lies. So uh, I appreciate you doing this work. I'm, I can't I can't wait to see what the future holds with this. And uh, hopefully we'll have more good news to start reporting instead of true crime. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I hope so. I really, really appreciate it. Everyone check out the Drilled Podcast. I, I, I assume, where can uh, folks follow you? I'm on Twitter at Amy Westervelt and then also at We Are Drilled. Um, and then, yeah, we have a website too that's drillednews.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, everybody get out there and vote. Uh, the planet depends on it. And check out the Drilled Podcast. Amy Westervelt, I appreciate you talking to me today. Thanks. Thank you. Hey everybody, it's AG. Healthy snacks have a bad reputation because, let's be honest, they're pretty gross. They don't fill you up. They're kind of empty calories and they don't satisfy your cravings. But this helping of the Daily Beans podcast is sponsored by Monk Pack. They have cracked the code when it comes to healthy snacks that taste amazing and have close to no sugar. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain less than one gram of sugar and two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories. They're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle and the perfect snack for anyone who wants to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. Personally, I've been trying to eat better, uh, but I get tripped up. I like snacks, but these are perfect. Since I've been having the Monk Pack Keto and Nut and Seed Bars, it's helped so much because they have that perfect balance of sweet, salty, and crunchy, and they have whole nuts and seeds, but they are somehow soft and chewy. They're so delicious, and they come in flavors like pecan almond, sea salt dark chocolate, and peanut butter dark chocolate. Um, The sea salt dark chocolate is my favorite right now. It's amazing. And since they're packed with protein, they're filling. They're satisfying. And they give you energy. So I put a couple in my little, you know, my little pack when I go on a bike ride. Perfect for a quick snack or dulge your sweet tooth without guilt. And in addition to being keto-friendly, they're gluten-free, plant-based, and non-GMO. No soy, trans fats, sugar alcohols, or artificial colors. So enjoy Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars while working, running errands, working out. Try it for yourself. You'll see. We have a special deal for listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code DAILYBEANS at checkout. To get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com and select any product. Then enter promo code DAILYBEANS at checkout to save 20% off your first purchase. Monk Pack, good food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news is on the way. Oh, that's my favorite part of the day. Uh, we have so many good news submissions and confessions. I'm so excited to do this. Uh, you ready, Dana? I'll kick us off. I am. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, here we go. First up, from Maria, pronouns she and her. 
Maria says, I watched Us Kids, the documentary about the Parkland students who went on the road during the summer of 2018 to inform the youth about politics, sign up voters, and about voting out politicians who were and are NRA-backed. I did not realize what they were doing, and I think that the March for Our Lives movement has motivated these new voters that have now uh, turned 18. I was It was really inspiring how they turned that frustration and anger about uh, the killing of their fellow students and has caused real change. That generation will save us. And Maria, we do have some new uh, numbers in battleground states for the 18 to 29-year-olds. Uh, I've got in um, the total of, of 18 to 29-year-olds early voting is up 342%. Right now. It's amazing. For 18 to 29 year olds who are black voters, it's up 310%. Hispanic, it's up 459%. And white, it's up 313%. Let's just hope that uh, these uh, Trumpsters and Republicans didn't pass on their genes to their children in some cases, and they're a little smarter and uh, a little tired of it. That would be my hope. That would be my hope. All right. We got a new good new, another good news story. I think you gave me this one on purpose. This is from Dr. Hafurher. <laughs> Dr. Michael Hafar. <laughs> yes. Dr. Michael Hafurher. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Beans. I'm taking inspiration from some of your listeners and turning it into action. I've officially volunteered for my first year of poll working on election day. I trained last night to be a machine operator and judge. Very nice. I'll be spending election day in the thick of it all, a full 12 plus hour day. I chose to do this rather than sit at home blinding drunk while watching Steve (laughs) Kornacki freak out in front of his jumbo electronic map machine. I am turning my angst into activism. I mean, what is more enjoyable than watching him rip a Sharpie off the cover of a Sharpie off with his mouth <laughs> and circling. <laughs> I like the jumbo electronic map machine. <laughs> I know. That's, I think that's what it should be called. I, thank you so much, Dr. Michael, uh, for, for your poll Her. working. I don't know yes. how else to say it. It makes me giggle every time. Thanks for being a poll worker. Yes. Thank you from Dr. Amel Uh Next up from Mo in Miami, pronoun she, her. Uh, aged but not out yet, she says. Greetings, queens of the beans. It has been a rugged week in many ways, and I'm constantly searching for any signs of good news, and I found a nugget this morning regarding wildlife conservation in California. The courthouse news is an amazing site for news of all types, especially good environmental news. Humans have been intruding on wildlife habitats as we grow like weeds, forcing an increase in human-wildlife encounters and isolating wildlife species and populations that are too small to be viable. A chunk of wilderness is being protected that will ensure some species can move for mating and other purposes. Conservationists win protections for Southern California Wildlife Corridor. We'll have the link to that story in the links from listeners, the listener section in the newsletter. So thank you for that. This is incredible. Absolutely. Incredibly good news. Yeah, Courthouse News is badass, man. So I love it. I love that's it. really good. Now, this next good news comes to us uh, anonymous, pronouns she and her. My coworker votes Green Party. But he, he told me yesterday, I get so angry. Mom, I'll start over. My coworker votes Green Party, but he told me yesterday that he voted for Biden and for the Democrats this time because he wants to get Trump out of office. Now, this is a Tennessee vote, and I'm very excited. Uh, when I early voted in person, I had to wait an hour and 15 minutes, and typically I can vote in 10 minutes in the Nashville area. 
that's also a good sign because Nashville's blue, blue in Tennessee. Uh, there are a lot of Biden signs in this state, and I think Tennessee is more purple than red right now. Thank you, ladies, for all the work you do in keeping us informed and prepared for this battle and saving our democracy. You told us early on how important it is that the vote numbers too large to manipulate, and the early voting numbers show that we listened. Yay! Thank you, Anonymous. Um, next one is also from Anonymous, and this is a confession. Uh, anonymous says I was walking my dog tonight and he didn't and he did his duty and I picked it up like a good pet owner should right social contract I kept the bag until I found the next next trash can but along the way I came across a bunch of campaign signs I really wanted to take the poop bag and throw it on a particular sign that rhymes with dump rest assured I did not but it was so so tempting it was dark so it's not like anyone would have seen what was going on if you haven't voted yet get to it (laughs) I love it. So I don't have to dump my poop bag on a Trump sign. I like how you confessed about almost doing something bad. That's awesome. I know. That's this is. I feel like that might have been a Canadian or a Mormon confession. I was thinking mm-hmm. about doing something bad, and I didn't do it, but I need to tell everyone that I had an impure thought. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. All right. This one comes to us. You help me out here. This is Greg Robin. Mm-hmm. Uh, pronouns he, him, but they, there is also good. Hi, I love the good you have done and continue to do. Your work will be studied in poli-sci classes for generations. Now, my confession, this is a confession. I wrote recently and titled myself a patron and a sponsor, but that's not true. I was and I am a patron, but to be a sponsor, one must be a sponsor. I think I meant supporter, which I certainly am. (laughs) I talk about you. I recommend your podcast and work to others. Nonetheless, I erred. I sinned, but I also have purchased a sponsorship. So now... In exaltation of my sin being lifted. Thank you. Lions of the Legume. Damn it. Because this one's different. Legumagetti? Yeah. Lions of the Legumagetti. Thank you, Lions of the Legumagetti. Your friend, supporter, patron, and now officially a sponsor. Thank you, Greg Robin. Greg Robin. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah. Legumagetti, Leguminati, however you want it. Whatever you need. We're here for you. Next up is from Gunner, pronouns he and him, longtime listener, first time writer inner. There is so much I want to say, but struggle to write. So please forgive me if this rambles. I'm from the Twin Cities. Needless to say, it's been a tough year. I've been working as an electrician all through the pandemic and protests. It's been difficult to be the only liberal voice when surrounded by my conservative and libertarian co-workers across job sites. Uh, on and near the destruction that put my hometown into the world's focus. It's disheartening to say the least. A bit of good news, though. I got phone. I got a phone banking call from one of my union brothers asking me if I had a plan to get out and vote and if I supported the Biden-Harris ticket. I responded, absolutely. A bit of relief came from his side of the call. I thanked him for his volunteer work, as I'm sure he's been getting an earful from his other calls. But it made me happy to hear that my International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 292, supports a chance for a better future. Now a shameless plug for my dog, Gus Gus. He's a 100-pound Staffordshire Terrier, German Shepherd Mutt. Oh, my God, look at him. Oh, my God, this picture. He's been the goodest, most handsomest boy ever. Thank you, Gus Gus. Uh, thank you, everyone at MSW, for the being the bean in my ear when I'm surrounded by hatred and disinformation. First of all, I have to know if Gus Gus comes from Cinderella. What's up, Gus Gus? And then Bean in My Ear. That's an old song. I remember that song. Look at this dog. Gus Gus is so cute. I mean, happy, happy dog. And also, uh, oh. Gunner's quite the strong human. Yeah. That is a big yeah. dog. <laughs> He's holding the dog. Aww. like, uh, like. And then you go oh. down Gus Gus's face. I know, I know, I know. Hi, buddy. Oh, look at those ears. You could flat a Guam with those ears. They're I huge. Know. 
He's definitely getting CNN on those. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Gunner. And Gus Gus is beautiful. Hi, Gus Gus. How's a good boy? Um, I just like to talk to the pod pets. Um, anyway, those are our good news stories. It's been amazing. Thank you. If you have any good news stories, please send them in. Please send them in this week. Please keep sending them in. And you do that at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. You can also submit confessions. If you have any quarantine confessions or any corrections, if we messed anything up, you can send it to us here. Uh, send that to us at that link as well. So that's it. Any final thoughts uh, to keep everybody going? No, just keep find something joyful today. You know, after you listen to this, go do something that makes you happy. We don't have enough of it right now. So just take a minute, go appreciate a flower, a sunset, a glass of wine, a glass of seltzer, whatever you do, but just just do something to, uh, joyful. Polish the bean. Yeah, to polish the bean whenever you need to. Uh, anyway, yeah, please. And also take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>